Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am, as usual, Eddie, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Jay. Hello. There he is. And today we have got a survival horror special for you. I'd say it's three games, but it's technically two, but we'll get on to that when we uh, start discussing the games. So it's essentially three Resident Evil games, but they're technically two entries in the series of Resident Evil. It's complicated. But anyway, so we will start with the earliest one chronologically and then we'll move on to the rest of them as we go so we'll start with resident evil 1 which was 1996 it was released and it is number 43 in our list yeah so we'll talk about them sort of out of order i suppose even though we're technically talking about them in order at the minute yeah it's a bit of a strange one like eddie's just said so yeah 43 is resident evil 83 is remake so Technically, we should be, if we're doing it in a list order, looking at those the opposite way around, but that doesn't make any sense. So what we'll do is we'll talk about these two as a whole and just cover the differences at the end of talking about Resident Evil 1 because there are differences, but they're not huge, are they? Which we will come to, but it was mostly graphical. They did make quite a few gameplay tweaks, but I wouldn't say any of them make it a different game. It's one of those we've talked about where we it shouldn't have two entries on the list. It should be one with a footnote, I think. Yeah, again, it's one of those, I think they should have put them on in the same position and just had a unified score for them both. I get why they're both on, because the older gamers who will have written into Retro Gamer would have been blown away by the original Resident Evil because there are certain portions of it and we'll get onto that in a bit that stick with you as a gamer and I think everyone who has played Resident Evil in its entirety or they've played it on like a demo disc when you used to get them attached they had this particular section in it and it sort of sticks with you and I can see why they rate the new version of Resident Evil quite highly as well because it's a remaster, a very faithful remaster, and there are some really fantastic quality of life improvements in there. And it expands on the story because obviously old PS1 chunky, blocky polygon graphics for horror. You you look at it now and you can't even believe it was scary. But <laughs> but back in the day, it was scary. Oh yeah, but it, it was. I know it, it doesn't sound like it would be but it was they were definitely scary back then there's certain parts of resident evil 2 which we'll come on to that yeah i still have nightmares about them now and eddie's right to look at the graphics back then they weren't much to write home about and you would you would think how could anyone be scared by this but it built up such a good atmosphere and and you'd never seen anything like it previously so it was I mean, I assume in 10, 15 years' time, they'll probably look back at Resident Evil 7 and be like, how is anyone scared of that? It's clearly graphics rather than real life, because I expect in 10 years' time, games will look like real people and you won't make the distinction anymore. So it's very much one of those that, because at the time it was happening, it just it was so fresh that, yeah, it was just terrifying. Uh, and I think that speaks highly of horror gaming as an art form because you can watch old horror films now and just be like dear god like the old friday the 13th films and the old um halloween films they're not particularly scary anymore um like an old alien and stuff like that you can watch it and just be a bit like all right there's a bit of blood bit of gore oh that thing's jumped out of the cupboard at them oh how scary but 
because of how immersive gaming is, it adds to the tension and the horror. And I think that's probably why Resident Evil has done so well, because it uses the atmosphere. Same with Silent Hill. And again, it's another entry in the series that we'll discuss. But um, they're both well-crafted atmospheres. And it's because you're immersing yourself in that world. And the thing that physically connects you to the game is the controller. Um, that I think, it, regardless of graphics, horror games will always be scary to a degree. Yeah, it's definitely scarier to be the one in control of it than it is to be the one watching. Like you, You'll get an element of a jump scare when you're watching, but when you're the one that then has to react to it on screen. I think we said similar in the Resident Evil 4 one. It's a different situation. It really is, and it really does feel completely different. But yeah, Resident Evil 1 wasn't one that I had first-hand experience of when it came out. Two was the first game I played in the series, and then I went back to one after enjoying two, which isn't a great way around to do it because they had made a lot of improvements by the time it got to two. So going back to one was a bit jarring, and even going to the one remake is a bit jarring if you've only played two because as much as it looks nice and they've improved a lot of it, it's still not, for me anyway, as much of a well-fleshed-out game as two is. Yeah, I I played it completely out of sequence because I played Resident Evil 3 myself first. I'd watched a friend play Resident Evil 2 and I literally, uh, it was during the summer holidays, we just sat in his bedroom and I watched him play it from start to finish and then did the survivor mode afterwards. Um, where he unlocked like Tofu Survivor and stuff like that. So I watched him play that and I was like, I need to play this game. Couldn't find a copy of Resident Evil 2, so found Resident Evil 3, which is a lot more action-orientated. And then at the same time, I'd found Resident Evil 1 that was a fiver in Woolworths. And to say that it's supposed to be set in a creepy mansion at night while there's a storm going on. It's rather well lit, and I'm assuming that's because of the lighting engine and the limitations of the PS1, but the atmosphere from a surroundings perspective isn't exactly what you'd want to be in terms of intimidating. It's just a bit... It's a bit of a hotel, really, in terms of looks. Yeah, it's it's a strange environment. Like, the, the second one is the police station. Again, we'll come to it. And that sort of fits and and but then when you explore the police station you suddenly think well this doesn't feel like a police station at all and i think there's some sort of hokey explanation isn't there as to why this police station's got this huge thing in the middle of it like a fountain and and doors unlock with seals and all that kind of random stuff the first one being a mansion it should make more sense um, that this quirky mansion owner might have puzzles where you have to slide a statue and it opens a door and all that kind of thing. But like you say, it doesn't. You don't get the horror feel straight away when you go into it, and it's only through certain cutscenes and creepy aspects that they've introduced into it that you then start to feel that atmosphere. Like for one example, the the fam- most famous room in Resident Evil One, I think, is the one with the ceiling that drops when you uh, when you take the shotgun. And uh, Barry does the the Jill sandwich line, which if, <laughs> if you're familiar with Resident Evil at all, you will know that because it is one of the worst like recorded lines in gaming history. Oh, Barry! That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. <laughs> you're right. Barry, thanks for saving my life. 
Uh, and that's the thing about Resident Evil 1. I think they tried to make it quite a serious game, but it's it's more comedy than serious because it's got this like B movie feel to it. And the original intro video is like a live action one, isn't it? Of people running through a field with dogs chasing them. And it just, you watch it and you're like, this looks like something that a year seven drama school have made, but it works. And it, it sort of all plays into that atmosphere where you get this, this place that doesn't feel real and, and this scenario that doesn't feel real, but you're in the middle of it and you've just got to deal with it. And it, gets scarier and scarier the more you invest yourself in it i suppose yeah it's very camp b movie really isn't it that the acting the poor sod that had to do the voice acting for barry got done dirty with that because it either sounds like he's had a lobotomy or there's some poor sod probably narcoleptic with the way he goes through the uh, the lines that's slowly holding up like word cards for him to read out and they just keep forgetting to drop him because he's rather stilted in the way he delivers his lines. Um, and then if you look at the opening, the opening's like the introduction to a horror movie because it's like live action characters and it does the announcements for each character, like Chris Redfield. And there's Chris Redfield just stood there just having a fag. And it's just like, <laughs> right, I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to advertise cigarettes to kids, but uh, whatever. And then you get Albert Wesker sweeping his hair back. And it, it's the nearest approximation I think they could find to all of the characters in the game. And then you shift from that into the actual game and you just go, oh, why are they all made of Minecraft? Because <laughs> they're all really blocky. And all the zombie sound effects that sounds like someone's standing on a juice box. <laughs> <laughs> there's just, yeah, there's a complete shift in tone. It's great. Just uh, just to point out there for our non-British audience, when did he said he stood there having a fag? <laughs> yeah, sorry. That that means smoking over here. It doesn't mean what you're probably thinking it means. Uh, it wasn't yes, that kind of, of game. That. Uh, but yeah, those, those live-action openings are brilliant, and I think that's why I liked Wesker so much when, when I was playing Resident Evil, because his opening is fantastic. And... His, I do like his character anyway. I mean, there's, there's going to be spoilers in this episode just to point it out because it, it's a 20-odd-year-old game. If you've not played it by now, then that's your fault, not ours. So if, if you don't, if you want to go and play it, go and play it now and then come back and, and listen to this because we're going to have to put spoilers in otherwise. But yeah, when Wesker turns out to be a bad guy, I was like, it actually surprised me the first time and it shouldn't do. When you play that back and look at it, you it's fairly obvious, but at the time I was completely shocked that that's where the storyline went. Um, and he's he's like a bad penny, isn't he? He just keeps coming back in game after game after game as yeah. as as a villain of the piece over and over again. And I'm sort of glad because he was always one of my favourites. Barry was a bit of a well, like you say, he sounds like a bit of a drip anyway. But he's just this. I, I assume in this day and age you'd call him a simp. He's just following Jill around like a puppy, isn't he? Like trying to look after her all the time and bailing her out every time she makes a stupid mistake. But doesn't he have the best gun as well? He's got like <laughs> yeah, a, he's got he's a got magnum, Desert hasn't he? Eagle. Yeah. Oh, is it a Desert Eagle? So it just like blows everything away like immediately. Yeah. What he makes up, what he lacks in personality, he makes up for in firepower. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think they set the storyline up to make you think that it's Barry that's bumping everybody off and that's yeah. going to end up betraying the team and it turns out to be Wesker. And in all fairness, like you say, when you look back at it and you go, 
oh yeah, it is quite obviously Wesker all the way through it. Plus, he's got the very traditional slightly evil English accent to him. Yeah. And you just think, oh yeah, fair enough, you did have it front and centre because, let's face it, it's an American game, um, uh, well, Japanese and American game, and the the only sort of villains that they have in their sort of pop culture are either Russians or the English. Just uh, just before we carry on, apologies if my audio is all over the place. So if you've listened to last week's episode, you'll know I had a bit of a fight with the microphone. I went and got some items to make it more secure and they didn't work at all so during the first part of the recording when when eddie was uh very kindly explaining about the character in the opening scenes i was once again tussling with the microphone and i've had to move where it is so if my audio levels have suddenly gone from not being able to hear me at all to now me being incredibly loud apologies i will try my best to sort that out in the edit but we've not had the easiest first sort of 15 or 20 minutes on this episode have we so I think we're all sorted now, but I just wanted to point out because it makes my life a lot easier when it comes to edit it if I've acknowledged the fact that it sounds a bit ridiculous with the the levels going all over the place. But back to Resident Evil, unless you've got something to say about my tussle with the microphone, because I know it, no, I could see I, I, I could see just... the look in your eye when it was coming towards me again, like deja vu from last week. I was just going to say to to the uh, if you hadn't mentioned it to the listeners, they'd just assumed you'd gone through like an Austin Powers esque defreezing <laughs> moment where you were now struggling to control the volume <laughs> of your voice. It's it's terrifying. It genuinely is to look up and see a microphone lunging towards your head, and I've experienced it two weeks in a row now. So I'm going to have to get a better arm to hold it on. I think because it it clearly doesn't like where it was uh, where it was bolted to. But back to Resident Evil. So yeah, I mean we've not talked about the fact that it was one of the earliest games to offer the the sort of two root game because like we talked about Streets of Rage and that kind of thing last week. You had the two like you could pick what character you played as, but other than an aesthetic and a slight boost in one area or another, they didn't change anything about the game. Whereas Resident Evil. You pick Jill or you pick Chris and you get a completely different game depending on which one you pick. It isn't just you play as a bloke or you play as a woman. You get Jill is the easy mode, essentially, but you get a completely different route through the mansion. You get different interactable cutscenes. Do you get different bosses? Are there some bosses that change slightly? Yeah, you do. Uh, Jill gets Yawn, the snake in the attic, and Chris gets... I think he gets the Neptune, which was the shark in the... the massive T-virus infected shark in the tank, which was the point in the original game that I just stopped playing, because I have (laughs) a pathological fear of sharks. So I got into that, and it shows you the cutscene of this huge megalodon-sized shark leaping out of this containment tank, and I just went, nope, this isn't for me anymore. I'm just going to turn (laughs) this off. So yeah, the game changes. I mean, to to say Jill's the easy mode, she gets a lockpick, whereas Chris gets a lighter, I think, which isn't anywhere near as useful. So the lockpick means that she doesn't have to go around. There's certain locks she can't pick, but there's like these small key doors or something like that, like the generic key. She can just open them at will, whereas Chris has to go around and find a stockpile of keys to get around the mansion. She gets the grenade launcher, which is quite overpowered compared to anything Chris gets. Uh, and she gets in like more inventory space, which 
another thing that Resident Evil kind of introduced was this aspect of managing your resources and not being able to carry unlimited amount of items with you. So if your attache case or whatever it is that you carry in is full, you can't pick up anything else unless you reorder them or use something or dispose of something. And that I don't think had been done certainly not as intrusive as this because it is a key part of the game knowing whether to keep an old gun that you might not use anymore but then in a pinch if that's the only gun you've got with ammo then it suddenly becomes a very important thing to have on you and there's that management of elements that that you'd not really seen previously and Jill has an easier time of it because she has three more slots, which doesn't sound like much, but in a game like that, it could be that's three healing items or that's three more packs of bullets or three more grenades to launch at enemies that really do make a difference. It's We've talked about it with Resident Evil 4, but resource management in these games, even more so in 1 and 2, every bullet you have to make it count. You can't just go into a corridor full of zombies and start spraying bullets about because you'll run out of bullets almost straight away and then you're screwed for the rest of the game. So it is really important to keep that side of it. Yeah, if you combine that with the tank controls for the character, I think that's probably what helps add to the atmosphere of horror and dread because you can't just turn on your heel and leg it away because they they run like a paperboy with polio. They, they don't run very fast at all. They sort of, sort of, there's shambling monstrosities snapping at your heel and zombie dogs and stuff like that. And it's just a brisk walk, really. There's, there's no real urgency in any of the motion that they have. But yeah, it's proper. I think it's probably the introduction of proper survival horror. So horror is set in a location. You're given sort of um, inventory management, as you've said, and particularly when you consider that Resident Evil was supposed to be a well, ended up being a spiritual successor to something called uh, Sweet Home, mm. which was a role playing game and but a horror role playing game. So to shift from that to this slightly more actiony survival horror is a bit of a shift, and it's a bold decision to make to change the direction completely. Um, and I don't think it was intended as a Zelda-style. Each entry in the series was supposed to have a different style to it. I think it was just that they made that decision. And Konami have made... Uh, sorry, Capcom have made similar decisions, and they've not always worked out great, where they've tried to take a bold new direction with the Resident Evil series, and it's... Yeah, it's, it's not gone down well with some of it. Yes, Sweet Home's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Because it's a bit Final Fantasy type yeah. thing with the turn-based and also you get X amount of characters and you move them around the mansion independently, don't you? And it reminds me a bit of, um, is it Manic Mansion? You know, the, the forerunner today, the tentacle. In yeah. that you get in that you get three characters and they all have different skill sets and you use them independently of each other to to sort of work your way through the place you're exploring. And I have played Sweet Home and I didn't get on with it very well, but it was a I think it was a fan translation because I don't think we got it, did we? No, over here. So it might have been that a lot of it didn't really make any sense and I got stuck quite a lot. And it, it was quite a punishing game as well, from what I remember. It wasn't the easiest game in the world. Uh, no, it was. It was really difficult, and it had permadeath hmm. for the characters. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this was a good direction to go in. If if it had been a faithful 
remake of Sweet Home, but with better graphics. I don't think we'd have Resident Evil as it is now. It, it just wouldn't have took off, I don't think. But yeah, I mean, the the range of enemies then, and you've touched upon a couple of them, but in Resident Evil 1, you've got your zombies and your dogs. They're the two that you're probably going to encounter most. Definitely zombies. Uh, they're everywhere, but the you don't have to fight them most of the time, do you? Unless you're in a tight corridor, it's often better to just dodge around them the best you can with the tank controls and hope they don't grab you and just carry on about your day because if you tried to take them all out you'd have no resources left in no time flat the dogs are a bit more of a problem you do really do need to take care of them because they're just persistent and they're fast and they'll just come at you forever more and then you get well there's crows but they don't pose too much of an issue unless you go near them but then you've got hunters which I weren't familiar with because obviously I'd played two first. So going back into it and encountering the hunters, they're a nightmare, aren't they? Because they're they're powerful, they're fast. They can like disappear off screen and come back on a different part of the screen. And I just hated encountering them. They were the worst bit of Resident Evil 1 for me. And they've got a one-hit kill move. So Mm. if you're on, I think it's if you're on half health or lower, they have a jump attack that literally takes your head off and kills you outright, and tank controls, you can't dodge it, so you just have to hope that you're moving in the right direction and the framing's right as they jump, you already happen to be moving out of of the way, otherwise you're dead, basically. And then, yeah, some of the bosses, so there's a, like you've mentioned, there's a snake, there's the shark, there's a giant spider, I think. Yep. There's one of the bosses. Uh, and then I can't remember the rest. It's been a while. I'm assuming, well, the, the end is the tyrant, isn't he? So the tyrant's the final boss, which is like a huge humanoid with a massive claw for a hand that, that chases you around on a rooftop, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the ones we've mentioned, you had chimeras, which were horrendous insect things that were about the size of a full-grown human that sort of vomit acid on you and can scuttle through the air ducts. So you'll be walking through a room, and this previously pre-rendered air duct will just burst open, and this hideous insect thing will just come scampering, screaming down the walls at you, grab hold of you, vomit acid on you, probably poison you, I think, and then bugger off. Um, But then I think there's plant 42, as well, which is a massive toxic plant mm. um, that's got like vine tentacles, and you can either choose to poison it before you go into the room, in which case the battle's like I think it's two shots or one shot, and the boss dies, or you have to have a full boss battle with it. Um, and the full boss battle is so challenging with tank controls. They made it slightly better in the remake. Because the tank controls were still there, but they were tighter, a lot tighter. But yeah, the original Plant 42 boss battle is one of the worst difficulty spikes in the Resident Evil series, really. I think that's a good place to move on to the remake. But just before we do, the original back in 1996, in I think by the end of 1997, had sold 4 million copies. Which for back then is, I don't know how many Playstations there were out there, but... That sounds like a lot of the people who had a PlayStation also had Resident Evil 1. Uh, and according to the figures that I saw, now we, we discussed this before we started recording, and I'm not quite sure where they've got this figure from. Those 4 million copies translated into about $200 million 
Now, working that out, that works out at about $50 a game, which I suppose may be right, because back then the dollar was a lot stronger on the pound, wasn't it? So you'd be looking at about 25 30 quid. Yeah. So that is probably about right, yeah. So that, that's an amazing achievement for a for like a, an unknown game coming out on, on the PlayStation. Because it wasn't like it was a franchise and it had all this hype surrounding it to come out. It was a brand new thing that people didn't really know what to expect from. And it did that well. Yeah, and when you also consider that if you include, obviously because the PlayStation was one of the easiest consoles to chip, if you consider all the otherwise less than appropriately acquired versions of the game, it must have been massive because you could copy PlayStation games and get your PlayStation chipped and just play a copied version. So, and like I say, I bought mine for five quid. So it must have been hugely popular outside of that initial 20 million Sorry, two hundred yeah. million um, dollar sales achievement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There'll, there'll have been, I'd say, what a quarter of as many copies chipped out there, probably. Yeah. If you're looking at the numbers, and then that doesn't account for the second-hand market, people selling it down the car boot once they finish with it, or so. Yeah, it, it was one of those games that I think, I think I was probably one of the only people that hadn't played it when it came out. By the sounds of it, but I got into two because of somebody at school so i'll i'll get onto that story when uh, we get to two but let's just take a quick look at the remake and what that did differently so the remake's 83 in the list so 40 places below the original which again begs the question why they included it and they didn't just lump them together if people aren't even rating the remake higher than the original when it's the same game just with improvements uh so the the retro gamer magazine lists the improvements as new layout and puzzles so Pretty much the mansion's entire layout changed, didn't it? Nearly all the rooms where they used to go didn't go there anymore, and you had to learn the whole game again. So if you played the original or the director's cut, which the director's cut changed the room layout and the puzzles as well, so this is like the third iteration of it. So that was different. It introduced Crimson Heads, which I think they come from Zero or Code Veronica. No, they were a... Brand new, fresh, hellish introduction to the series with the Crimson Heads. Oh, I thought they'd come from a different game. I didn't realise they just actually made them for the remake. Yeah, so the Crimson Heads in in the Resident Evil remake were basically, when you downed a zombie, you had the choice of, you could carry a canteen of um, lighter fluid round with you and a lighter, and you could choose to either leave the body where it lay um, or if you managed to get a particularly good headshot and blew its head clean off, you could just leave it. Or you could choose to, once it was down, you could choose to pour lighter fluid on it and set the bugger on fire. If you didn't and you just left it alone and you had there was any chance of you coming back through this way, and there was, because there was backtracking a go-go in the uh, original Resident Evil games, you had to... You found a key and you were like, brilliant, where does this go? You'd open your map up and you'd be like, ah, oh, right, okay, four floors away and it's completely the opposite end of the mansion to what I'm in now. Fantastic. They'd come back as stronger zombies, so they'd, t- they'd do more damage. They had like razor sharp claws. They could sprint and I'm talking like 28 days later zombies 
sprint. They could break through doors. So even the ones that because they kept the very faithful loading screens um, from the original Resident Evil, where you opened a door to go into the next room and it it just showed you the door opening sort of to disguise the level loading back in again. So even those doors, you opened it, you shut it behind you, the f***er would burst through the door and carry on chasing you. No loading screen for him! (laughs) So you just had to keep running out of the way. Or you could, um, because you got like sort of disposable objects, so you got like knives, tasers and um, grenades so if a zombie grabbed you you could literally cram a grenade in its mouth push it off and it would just blow its head clean off so if you didn't do any of those things crimson heads for you so this is another reason why it's better to dodge zombies rather than killing them in in resident evil one because then they don't have the the chance of coming back as crimson heads and then the the other thing they introduced in the remake i'm, I'm sure there's smaller things like you've just said the the disposable weapons that had the little cutscenes to them when you get attacked they also introduced lisa trevor so lisa as you you pointed this out to me because i wasn't sure what way round it was done because all the versions i've played recently she's in it and she's also in that film as well isn't she that that got made recently that people hated but i quite liked yeah but yeah she's she's talked about in the original as this experiment and and you never really you get all the details if you bother to read the files it's a lot like any Resident Evil game. If you want to put the time in to read all the lore, there's loads more to them than just the game itself. And then when people got the remake and started playing it and were reading about Lisa Trevor, all of a sudden, there she is, like, comes shambling out of this house, doesn't she, that you're investigating and then starts chasing you around and she's pretty much immortal. You can't get rid of her. You can slow her down, I think, and, and escape from her, but you can't actually kill her. And that was probably one of the biggest things they did in the remake was to actually put this new jump scare in that none of the, the people who'd previously played Resident Evil thought anything of because the, they were all just along the lines of, oh, Lisa Trevor, they're talking about Lisa Trevor again. And then bang, there she is all of a sudden chasing you around. Yeah, she's uh, and she hits like a freight train as well. So uh, like you say, you end up going down to this shack in the middle of the woods um as a as a nice reprieve from the horrific monster infested mansion that you're looking through you now get to go to a horrific monster infested shack in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night uh so yeah you go in there and you start looking through like old diaries and i think that's where you get the itchy tasty Mm. Um, diary entry in the remake that was in the original and then yeah as you go to leave there she is hunched forward with like this sort of hood over her head made of sewn on people's faces it's great it's, it's really delightful and yeah she's got both her arms are shackled together with like a wooden block and she just swings it like a mace and she can easily kill you in three hits and she shrugs off shotgun blasts and just keeps shambling after you there is a boss battle with her quite close to the end but you never actually kill her you have to i think you have to open her mother's coffin but you have to push these blocks sort of that are keeping this coffin chain shut you push these blocks off it pulls the chains it lifts the lid off the coffin and it's her mother's body she collects her mother's skull and she literally jumps into this abyss um, and you never see her again Uh, and and that's it that's the end of the story really it's quite a sad story if you read all the notes on her and stuff like that because she was just a girl that was 
happened to be there and they killed her parents and then started experimenting on her. I think the the difficult bit about the first encounter with her is it's so claustrophobic where you meet her in that cabin. There's nowhere to pass her. You have to sort of run at her, don't you, and hope that you bustle through and, and manage to get away from her and and then she starts chasing you through the wilderness and you just have to hope you stay that one step in front because, like you said, nothing affects her. So your only option is to leg it and, and get somewhere that she can't access and then, yeah, fight her later in the game. But... That's that's basically it for the remake, which is why we've said multiple times we're amazed that it's two entries in the list because it doesn't need to be. It, it's the same exact game with a couple of modifications. It's like putting, I don't know, what would be an equivalent? It's like putting a game in here and then they release some DLC that changes a little bit of the map and going, oh, it's a new game, that. Get it in the list twice. It'd be like uh, what we mentioned last week, Spyro the original Spyro the Dragon, and then them putting the Spyro remake or remaster in. There's no difference in gameplay. There's no difference in level design. There's no difference in characters or enemies or anything like that. It's just prettier graphics. And it's like them putting that in and going, there you go, two separate entries. Whereas you'd just think they'd add the score together, divide it by two, and give the pair of them sort of the average score and move the other yeah, yeah. games round. Yeah, which would have benefited it. Well, it would have been, what, it's 40 points apart, so it would have dropped down to, like, 60s. 60. Yeah, so I don't know why they didn't do that. I mean, the first game being as high as 43 is... I, I don't know. I don't know how to gauge that. Like, I don't know whether I feel it should be higher, or whether because it, it did a lot of stuff like revolutionary stuff and introduce people especially in in like europe to horror games that were genuinely scary at the time i know we've said that you look back now and you probably wouldn't get that from it but you sit in the room with your mate turn the lights off put that game on back in like 1996 it's gonna scare you because even if it's not scary to look at the jump scares and the the music as well which we've not mentioned the sound effects and the music are done like like you said the zombies sound a bit weird but they're done so well the atmosphere of like you'll walk around a corner and it'll give you that like and you know something bad's about to happen but it's too late because you're already in the moment bits like that it, it really was i suppose a bit jump scary in how it did scare you so it didn't rely on the graphics scare but although that first bit where that cutscene plays and that zombie is eating that bloke's head and it looks round that is still quite a scary image to look at yeah. especially for like how old would we have been then uh, I'd have been 10 yeah I'd have been 10 somebody that's 10 that is still quite a scary thing to see so yeah it did have its moments and I, I do like Resident Evil 1 even though like I said I didn't play it when it very first came out but for me 2 will always be prime resident evil and one's just not up to that level for me so do you want to rate them all at the end or do you want to do rating for one now yeah we'll rate them all at the end i suppose in terms of the first resident evil it spawned so many spiritual successors and so many um sort of homages really because you got things like dino crisis from yeah. it which was i'm assuming on the back of jurassic park the success of Jurassic Park, so they did a, ho- a Resident Evil-style horror thing with dinosaurs, not zombies. And then you've got things like Silent Hill, you've got Alone in the Dark, 
all spinning off from, and they all use that tank controls, claustrophobic environments, occasional jump scares, but just dripping with atmosphere. And it's all thanks to the first Resident Evil game, really. Yeah, I mean, the first Alone in the Dark predates this, I think, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the same as this, was it? It's it's like a fever dream that game. Like the yes, cer- certain bits of it are really clever, like the bit where you have to push the wardrobe in front of a window in time before something jumps through it, and you can sort of see that in Resident Evil. I think they must have had a bit of inspiration. It's probably like a back and forth thing. Resident Evil took inspiration from the original Alone in the Dark. The new Alone in the Dark took inspiration from the original Resident Evil. So, yeah, there's probably a little bit of back and forward in that, but so many games, like you say, came off the back of how well Resident Evil did horror on on PlayStation, even to the extent of, like you you said, your Silent Hills, there's Alone in the Dark. There was a couple of others that I'm struggling to remember now that there was was one that's like... um, You walk around and it's a place infested with zombies, but you've got a power where you can look at at what the zombie is seeing so you sort of take control i think oh sirens it's called yes uh and it's meant like sirens 2 is meant to be one of the scariest horror games and i bought it and i didn't get on with it because it i didn't like the controls and stuff but it's scary i'll give it that we we played it one night in the pitch black and i was genuinely horrified playing that game and it's it probably isn't even that scary but because it had been built up with this atmosphere but that again that probably came off the back of a resident evil being so successful even down to my personal favorite game gregory horror show which it's a resident evil game with cartoon characters in it essentially and it's made by capcom so it's the same controls it's the same you get similar door opening animations you can spy on people through keyholes it's very sort of resident evil themed and that all comes about because of this game so i wouldn't have one of my all-time favorite games if resident evil hadn't have done so well so it does hold a special place in my heart purely because of that but yeah two for me is the better one which i think let's move swiftly on to number two and see what that has in store so i didn't I did have to fairly soon after it came out, not straight away, but somebody at school had told me how good it was. And he was, it was one of those situations, you know, you're in school and he was reeling off like step by step how the game was and telling me everything about it. And I could build this picture in my head of the opening sort of 10 minutes of the game just from him describing it. And when I got it, yeah, it was exactly the same, but I remember wanting this game so badly. And I even went to my parents because I was like, what, 1998? So I was 12. Went to my parents and I was like, look, I really want this game. I ain't got enough money to buy it. If I do all these chores, and I think I'd even written up like a little contract because I'd, I'd just got a PC recently and I was doing everything in publisher or whatever it was. And I think I'd made this little contract with a border and everything. It's like, I will do all these chores with like little tick boxes if you buy me this game at the end of them. And I basically just nagged my parents until they agreed to to do this. So I went around, did all my chores. I think my mum had asked one of her friends to get it for me when she like went into town or whatever. So she didn't bring it in immediately. She took it home selfishly rather than dropping it off at our house and then a couple of days later she brought it around and I was like yes I've got it and we were going on holiday for a fortnight the day after to uh, I think we were going to Malta or something and I'm like well I can't take my PlayStation with me so I literally hid in my room for a full day and played as much of it as I possibly could and then I went on holiday to Malta and spent two weeks wishing I was back at home 
that's the only thing I thought about the whole time I was there. Like, I wish I was back at home playing Resident Evil. I wish I was back at home playing Resident Evil. And when I finally got home, it was it was like, I assume it's what a druggie must feel like when they, they haven't had any drugs for ages and they finally get this fixed because I was euphoric when I got, got back to play on this game. And somebody else had bought me another Jersey Devil. Do you remember that game? Oh, yeah. Somebody else had bought me that because I'd also really wanted that. And I think it was like around birthday time. So somebody had bought me that. It didn't get a look in. And I was really keen to play that game until I got Resident Evil 2. Didn't get a look in for ages. And I, I think I made the right choice in retrospect because that game is horrifically bad. But <laughs> yeah, Res- Resident Evil 2 was was right up there for me. And, and I played that game to death when I got it. And I played every scenario I could. And we'll talk about how it works in terms of scenarios because it's it expands upon the Chris and jill thing doesn't it to take it even further but yeah i distinctly remember there was a bit on one of the scenarios and i just couldn't do it i'd run out of ammo i'd I'd done the stupid thing of just shooting anything that moved run out of ammo couldn't get past and i got one of those explorer cards so i plugged that in and gave myself infinite ammo thinking oh this will help i'll be able to get past it and then i got to the bit where you escort sherry is it sherry birkin yeah in the lift and she just wasn't there and i was like i'm sure she's meant to be here at this point (laughs) And I went in and she wasn't there. And the the cutscene played and her voice was there, but her character model wasn't. And then when the lift opened, you meant to follow her, but there was nothing to follow and it just glitched my whole game out. So I never actually finished that that side of it. But yeah, jumping back a little bit then. So it's it's got scenarios, hasn't it, this time, rather than just Jill and Chris. So I'll let you uh, yeah. elaborate on that one. Yeah, so it's got... um, They're basically two halves of the plot. Um, So you don't get the full storyline unless you play both sides. But, so you have the Claire side of the story and the Leon side of the story. Because at the beginning of the game, you're both in a police car. You get attacked by a zombie that's been... I'm assuming he was arrested and was locked in the back of the police car. He lurches forward to try to get you. You sort of lose control of the vehicle, slam into a lamppost, um, and then as you're sort of coming round from the car crash, this tanker um, just comes trundling down the road at you, being operated by a man that's been bitten by one of the zombies, and he's going to crash, and so you both exit out of opposite sides of the car. So you end up on completely separate sides of the city, essentially, and you both sort of talk to each other over the burning wreckage and agree to head towards the police station, which is where you were both intending to go because Leon is a rookie cop and it's his first day in Raccoon City. Unlucky Leon. Um, And Claire has gone to Raccoon City to find her brother Chris from the original Resident Evil game. So yeah, but it's not just two halves of the same story either because it's broken down into four chunks, essentially. So you get Claire scenario A and Claire scenario B, and then you also get Leon scenario A and Leon scenario B. So if you start with Claire, so you go with Claire A, you then finish your scenario as Claire and you do get an end boss at the end of your eight hours, nine hours worth of gameplay. And then you switch into Leon B and you play the same story from Leon's perspective. So he picks up all, he goes through different doors, he does different puzzles, he fights different bosses. But the reverse is also true. So if you pick Leon to start with, you get Leon scenario A, which is slightly different from Leon and Claire scenario B and A. 
And then once you finish that, you get Claire Scenario B, which again is completely different from all four, uh, the other three. So you need to play all four to get a sort of broad picture of roughly what happened to each character. Like you meet different characters at different times and certain characters will help you out, like Marvin, the policeman that's been bitten in the station, and you'll encounter different bosses each time you play through it. And once you've played through them all, you then get a proper final end boss with the horrendous blob that is William Birkin. It's almost like a multiverse thing, isn't it? Yeah. The scenario A and B. It's which way the car's facing when it crashes. So in, in scenario A, in inverted commas, the car crashes head on. Leon jumps out of the right side of the car. Claire jumps out of the left. Whereas in the other scenario, it spins and then Leon ends up on the left and Claire on the right. And yeah, and that's what... So it it's not like you're playing four consecutive scenarios. They're like two versions of events, depending on how that first encounter goes, uh, which is quite clever to do it that way to, as a way to expand gameplay because they didn't have to remake all the environments. They didn't have to remake all the enemies. They didn't have to record that much extra dialogue. They didn't have to animate anything new. They just used what they... Well, there's little bits where they probably did, but they used what they'd already got and got four games out of it rather than two, like the first one, which was really clever to to do that, to prolong the length of a game. You don't see that much these days, like in terms of reusing the all the assets to make a brand new game. It was almost like Zelda when they did the Master Quest, wasn't it? And... They just rearranged the dungeons and made things a bit more tricky, but they didn't really do anything new, but it feels like a new game. That's how these scenarios play out. You feel like you're playing a brand new game each quarter, but actually you're playing the same thing. It's just they've tweaked it a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely a very clever way to do it. And I mean, Resident Evil 2 took, I think it was just shy of two years to build. I think it was 21 months or something like that. And to get what is essentially a 32-hour game that isn't an RPG, because I'll I'll sit <laughs> here now and before I start arguing the toss about how big 32 hours worth of gameplay is for a PlayStation 1 game, and someone will, in the audience will go, uh, excuse me, Final Fantasy was doing it long before. Yeah, the RPGs. RPGs don't count. They are designed to have length. And if you look at how they managed to do that back then versus what they do now, to artificially lengthen gameplay, which is collectathons, pointless side quests. You don't get any of that in Resident Evil 2 anyway. You get it occasionally now. But it, it was just, like you say, it was the same building. They just took you around it a different way for all four scenarios. And it was so cleverly done. And you'd walk around a corner, you'd be like, ah, Mr. X is coming around here. Nope because you're playing the wrong scenario. He doesn't appear until a lot later in the game, or he appears right at the beginning of the game, and you've got to deal with the miserable sod all the way through the police station in one of the scenarios. But yeah, yeah, proper credit to Capcom for making a game like that. It was one one of my favourites, and and that's partly why, because you could have that different experience. It was almost, oh, I don't want to do the Leon side of it today, I'm not in the mood for it. I'll do the Claire side, which again, I think Claire was the easy mode slightly, not as much as Jill was in the first one, but she gets a weapon with unlimited ammo in the crossbow, which makes things a hell of a lot easier. 
I think her scenarios are generally a little bit shorter. There's a little bit less of them and less boss fights, but none, nonetheless entertaining. Still, still really fun to do. And like you say, you're exploring two different stories. You've got Leon, rookie cop, first day, wanting to find out what's going on. And then you've got, for people who've played the first one, you've got that link to Chris and she's searching for him. And Leon does a bit of that, doesn't he? Because he's agreed to help her out. But most of the Chris-Claire storyline is in her scenarios, as it should be. And then you get a couple of external characters. So the, the chief of police is a bit of an arse, isn't he? Yeah, and gets what he gets what's coming to him. <laughs> Seems like he's on your side at first, but then he's just a bit of a dick. So there's him, and then there's, as you've previously mentioned, the guy in the police station who, in the original, looks like Will Smith, and everyone <laughs> thought it was like a nod to Will Smith. He really annoyed me when when I played it first because you go in and speak to him, don't you? And he gives you his gun, and he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm not going to make it." And you're like, "Oh, don't worry, I'll come back and help you." And then when you get back to that room that he's locked himself in. It does a little cutscene where he goes a little bit paler and he looks a little bit more ill. Now, I thought that was just, oh, he's getting worse, I need to hurry up. But no, that's him fully transforming into a zombie. So I went over to him to help him and he bit me and I died because I'd hardly got any health left. <laughs> so that was like my first death on Resident Evil 2 and I was fuming because I was like, I've come to help him. I didn't realise that was him fully transforming. So that was my, my first experience with the Will Smith fella. Uh, that gives you his gun. But one of the things I love about 2 is it introduced my favourite Resident Evil enemy of all time, which is the Lickers. Yeah. Absolute horrible things to fight, but they just look amazing. And that first... So the first time you experience one is you walk through the little seating area, don't you, in the police station, and you just see something flick past the window outside, and you don't really catch a full glimpse of what it is the first time, and you almost think it's inconsequential then you go through a door and you see a dead guy in front of you i think and then it does a cutscene, doesn't it look up to the ceiling there's just this horrible abomination with all its brain showing and its huge tongue flailing about and then it jumps down in front of you and that's when you have to start fighting it and i think they're less aggressive than the hunters to fight they still pose a lot of a challenge but they're just not as unfair in my opinion as what the hunters were yeah, there, there are workarounds for lickers because they are completely blind. Um, and and even in the original Resident Evil 2, their ability to sense you is based on the noise you make. So you could do like a half shuffle thing if you just tapped forward on the D-pad. You just sort of did this little static judder like you're the Flash and you just sort of <laughs> shuffle forward without making any noise. And you could... if you weren't so it wasn't sort of like the initial um conflict with the liquor which is just boss battle go go nuts um either kill it or run um if you encounter them later on and you notice them before they hear you you can just sort of flash shuffle past them and they don't hear you unless you make physical contact with them in which case they could berserk and then they start mauling at you but yeah so they they're, they're easier to deal with than the hunters are because if a hunter sees you it's just it after you, it's like a velociraptor. Yeah, and then there's the spider boss from the first game. They just become regular enemies now, like smaller versions of them, which are, are these susceptible to acid? Because there's certain yeah. grenade rounds, or it's flames, it's one of the two, isn't Flame. it? So you get certain grenade rounds in two that have different effects. So there's an acid one, there's a flame one. Is there a, a third one? It's just explosive, just standard. So you can sort of do a bit of strategy and think, oh, 
this makes sense, this will kill it quicker, and you also get a flamethrower, don't you, I think, in, in Leon's campaign. So there is one boss that sticks in mind because I hate moths with a passion. You don't like sharks, I don't like moths, and there's much more chance of encountering a moth than there is a shark, so I'm in constant fear of a moth attacking me. But yeah, there's a huge moth boss, isn't there? It like, takes up half the screen, and with it still being fixed cameras, the way they fix the camera in that moth fight is that it's... The camera's very close to it, isn't it? So you can't really see all of it until it starts attacking you. But I remember distinctly, if you go in there and just blast it with the flamethrower, it just sets it alight and kills it instantly so you can dodge a boss battle. What are the other bosses? There's a big alligator, I think, isn't there, that you can you throw a fire extinguisher into its mouth and and blow it to bits. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, it's it's sort of it's huge as well. It's pro it's proper massive the alligator, because um, you you just get knocked down into the sewers. Because what would a zombie game without a sewer level be? <laughs> um, so yeah, and you just sat there, and then this massive alligator just comes tearing out through the wall, um, and you basically just have to turn and run, and it's slowly dragging itself through the sewers because it can just barely contain it. And I think you knock over like a gas canister or something like that. And Mm. it goes to bite you, picks up the gas canister and you can shoot it and it just blows the entire alligator's head off. Um, Can you beat it other than that? Is there a way to beat it without that? Is that the, it's like a fixed point in the game. Yeah. And then other bosses, there's, you've mentioned Birkin. He gets, he gets name dropped quite a lot in it, doesn't he? As the, is he the guy that's invented the virus and then he injects himself with it to save himself? Yeah, so there is a, an after campaign, um, which we'll get onto, called Hunk Survivor. Um, and basically, the Hunks go in to take the G-Virus, which is a new version of the T-Virus from the original game, which just created zombies, whereas the G-Virus creates biological weapons, basically, so they're slightly more autonomous than zombies, um, and they're a lot more powerful, and it like, increases cell growth and stuff like that. Uh, they go in to nick it, he tries to shoot them, they take particular offence to this and machine gun him down um, and he uses one of the samples to inject himself to bring himself back to life and he just constantly mutates through the game. So you meet him first and I think he's got some semblance of his human self. So he's got like a human head on top and a sort of a jagged, torn lab coat and he's wielding a pipe in one hand, um, and then you defeat him, and then later on in a scenario you'll find him, and he's hunched down on all fours, and he's just got a massive, just gaping maw of teeth. Or And in a different scenario, he's slightly more mutated than the first time you meet him, so he's got one massive arm with an eye on it, and yeah, he's your continual sort of aggressor all the way through the plot. In parallel to the other aggressor, which is another boss battle. Well, is it a boss battle? It just follows you around and ruins the remake. Yeah. Is 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 what I'd say about Mister X or whatever. He's got about ten different names, hasn't he? Some people refer to him as a tyrant, even though he technically isn't. He is. He's genetically a tyrant, so they made him slightly more intelligent than the original tyrant from Resident Evil One. But he doesn't have the claws. He's just Mm. massive guy in a trench coat he looks a bit like a robot as well in the new one doesn't he like a yeah if you look at him he looks like a robotic person out of like fallout or something rather than a, a genetic monster but in he's, he's annoying in resident evil 2 he's just insufferable in resident evil 2 remake because 
in in the original, he's limited into where you can actually encounter him, isn't he? So he's only in certain rooms at certain points. Whereas in the remake, he can literally follow you to every room, and you just don't get a minute's peace to like explore and solve puzzles and try and figure things out because you're constantly waiting for that huge footstep and then he's there again and then you have to run away or hide or i really like the remake i'm sure we'll talk about it in a in a short while but that ruined it for me just his presence in it that's when i stopped playing it for a long time because it's just you can't get away from it and i understand why they've done it because that's what it should have been like in the original if they were capable of it but it's just not fun because you want to go around and look for things and, and enjoy exploring. And you've always got this on your mind that he's going to burst in at any point and you need to have an exit route. And to your point about avoiding liquors, in the new one, I was in the like the loft area with a liquor and I'm trying to go really slowly and cautiously around it. And then he comes lumbering in and it just goes like absolutely ape and starts bouncing around the room attacking anything that moves and he's trying to attack me as well and i couldn't get to the door because they're both in the way of the door and i end up dying and that's just when i stopped playing and i, I didn't go back to it for months because i was it's just too infuriating yeah it, it interferes with puzzles which i don't like when it starts to interfere with fundamental parts of the gameplay, so you can't complete a puzzle in the room because you're having to slowly move like sections of library bookcase on these little runners, but you can't because this lumbering git's chasing you around trying to punch you in the back of the head. And in certain sections of it, it just turns it into Benny f***ing Hill. <laughs> you, ju- you, you enter a room... And you just lock eyes with each other from across the room and there's like a set of desks in between you all. And you're like, well, I need something over that side. So you start moving around towards him. So he starts walking towards you. So you literally just run away from him and he just pursues you around the desk. It just looks like a scene out of something like a carry-on film that you're slowly working your way around the desk so you can just pick this item up and then slowly backtrack whilst avoiding getting punched. Um, Yeah, when you're trying to run away from an enemy not out of fear but out of annoyance frustration and because you want to preserve your health it just takes the horror atmosphere away from the game and it just becomes an exercise in frustration i think the room you've mentioned there with the bookcases he's obsessed with that room as well yeah he's he's in there like 90 percent of the time and he doesn't just walk through it does he he walks around in loops in there it's almost like well it it knows that you need to be in there doing something so it, it purposefully stays in there, going up the stairs, down the stairs, round the bookcase, up the stairs, down the stairs, and it just does it until he sees you, and then you're forced into this fleeing bit to try and lead him somewhere else, and then run back there and quickly do the puzzle before he comes back and does the same thing again. And yeah, you're right, it's not scary, it's just frustrating and annoying. When you compare it to the Resident Evil 3 remake, which would have benefited from that relentless pursuer because that is the purpose of nemesis in the game series he is Mm. focused on killing the stars members which you are as jill you are a member of and he only appears for like certain sequences in the remake so he'll appear for like a five minute set piece where you either have a short boss battle with him or you just run away and dodge the rockets or the tentacles that he's throwing at you and then you know he's not going anywhere else for a good long while until they're ready to bring him back for the next set piece. And it's like, why did you do it so well, in inverted commas, with Mr. X for the Resident Evil 2 remake, 
but then you are given the opportunity to use that similar asset again, but actually make it a point of the game and a dear God, this this git could turn up anywhere and make it a relentless pursuer. And then they just went, nah, I'll not bother. I wonder if it got bad feedback from the two remake and that's why they pulled it. Because like you say, that is the point of Nemesis. So in that game, you're sort of expecting it going in. Whereas in this one, I was still of the opinion that, oh, he's going to pursue you, but he'll only pursue you here, here, here and here. And everywhere else, you'll have time to think about what you're doing. And then that just isn't the case. And you can knock him away a bit, can't you? But you can't, again, you can't kill him. You can't really injure him to any great degree. You can just slow him down a little bit and then you're wasting your ammo. So yeah, not my favourite addition to an otherwise really good remake, the Resident Evil 2 remake. I think it's it's not, I wouldn't say it was faithful to the original, but it's good in its own right. Same as 4. 4 is more faithful to the original, I think. It, it follows the beats a lot more closely than the 2 one did but still as a standalone game two remake is really good apart from that constant pursuing threat does two doesn't have this the two remake doesn't have the scenarios does it no you just play through as either leon or claire they've, they've truncated they've added bits into the story but then at the same time they've taken a lot out of it not as much as they took in resident evil 3 because god did they literally chop up it was like vivisection, what they did with Resident Evil 3. They literally just carved chunks off it and went, oh, it's a five-hour game now. We could add the bits that we had last time back into it, but nah, it's all right, they'll buy it. And they just pushed it out, but they turned it around in a year. Yeah. So it shows how how eager they were to get on the back of the success of the Resident Evil 2 remake to just cash in again. And yeah, it, it's really disappointing because Resident Evil 3 after Resident Evil 2 was my favourite entry in the series. I really enjoyed it. I played that game to death. And then they did the re-release and I was like, ooh, ooh new, Res- new Resi 3 remake. And then played it and I was like, oh, I finished it in five hours. Um, Well, that wasn't worth 40 quid. Uh, thanks, Konami. Uh, Capcom. Keep Capcom. Going, Konami. Can I say, Konami are getting an hammering from you today and they've not even done it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've... I've... There's a, I've never played 3, I've never played Nemesis, and there is a good reason for that. So back in the day when I, I mentioned about having 2, the guy who talked to me about Resident Evil 2 and told me how good it was, he ended up getting Resident Evil 3. And after two or three months or whatever it was, he'd finished it, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's really good. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it. He said, oh, you can borrow it. I was like, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. I'll bring it in tomorrow. So he brings this game in, in a jewel case. It's nemesis on the front of it thought oh nice one i'll play that tonight got home opened it and the disc was like a banana (laughs) i've never seen a disc it was almost like bowl shaped it was bent up at both ends and i was like this ain't gonna work look at the state of it i'm like i haven't done this have i surely it must have been like this when he gave it me so i put it in the machine and it was scraping on the lid that's how bent it was i could hear it going and it just would not load no matter what i did it wouldn't load and i i really bent it straight as much as I could without shattering the disc because I thought if I shatter it I'm gonna have to buy him a new copy of it so he's giving it me looking like a banana he must know what state it's in so I'm trying to straighten it I got it level enough that it wasn't scraping on the lid and it would actually spin I think I got it to load into the actual game once in about 200 tries and it did the opening cutscene. and then as soon as I took control of Jill it was going like one frame a second (laughs) 
as she was running through. Because, again, it starts in the middle of a burning city. That seems to be the theme in Resident Evil games once you get to and onwards. And she's running through the city trying to go down one of these alleys. And it's just, yeah, it was like one frame a second. And, and I think I got attacked and killed by something without me being able to see I'd been attacked and killed by it. It just cut to the game over screen. And I ended up deciding it wasn't worth trying to play it. So I just put the banana disc back in its case and, and took it in back in the day after and said it wouldn't work. So that's why I never played 3. And then when I heard that the 3 remake wasn't great, I just watched a playthrough of it rather than actually paying for it. Uh, and yeah, I can see I, not knowing what the first one's like. I know that it's a lot more open worldy than the remake was. Yeah, you had sort of moments in time where you could make a choice whether to fight Nemesis or flee. Um, and if you fled, you it opened like different areas of the map potentially, and you got different enemies to fight from that. So you'd like jump off a bridge, and you'd end up surrounded by um, sort of hunter baiters which are not as strong as the hunters, but they're giant amphibians instead of reptiles. So they're like massive hunched forward frogs with claws. Um, and they just <laughs> open their mouths and just bite you in half. Um, and you, if you fought Nemesis, you got like a, an upgrade kit for your weapons or you'd get like um, a, an attachment for like your shotgun or something, like a shotgun stock. Um, that improved the firepower and stuff like that. And there were loads of little moments in it where it sort of slowed down and gave you like a freeze frame decision of Nemesis is in this restaurant. You're hid behind this um, sort of serving area and there's a burst gas main. Do you want to try and sneak out the back of the restaurant while he's stomping around in there? Or do you want to throw a lighter in there while you're all (laughs) you're all sat in there and potentially blow yourself up? Um, so yeah, there was a load of stuff they cut out of it, and it was just a disappointingly short game. <sighs> well, we've we've covered a few other Resi points that I think we're going to have to do a Resident Evil special. I know we say it about nearly every game we talk about on here, but there's so much Resident Evil to cover, and this is it now for the list. This is the last Resident Evil we will talk about as part of a list item. So we might look at doing a special because there's Code Veronica, there's Zero, there's Survivors. There's Dead Aim. Is that the light gun one? Yeah, the really crap light gun one that they shouldn't <laughs> have made because they couldn't do light gun games at the time. <laughs> There's loads of um, like DS. I, I don't want to say ports because they're not the same game, but they're meant to be. There's a Game Boy game at one point, I think. Resident Evil Gaiden, I had it, and it was the weirdest game ever. Um, but yeah, that is definitely something for another video because we can discuss basically the highs and lows of Capcom because there have been some tremendous highs with what Capcom's produced for the Resident Evil series and there have been some horrendous tunnelling below the surface of the earth lows for the mm. uh, series There really has. Five, in my opinion. And six. I don't hate six as much as I hate five. Five for me is just the. I played the demo of five and I immediately went, I've no interest in playing this game at all. I'm not going to buy it. It did exactly the opposite of what a demo should do because I played it and I just got completely switched off for it because the two things I hated about it, and they're probably the two things everyone hates about it. One, you've got this other person that you constantly have to look after. So it's, it's like a, a slightly more competent 
escort mission because they can shoot back a little bit, but they're not the brightest. And two, you can't aim and move, which in like the earlier Resident Evil games is fine because most of the things you fight in are slow or they don't charge towards you or they stay a distance when you fight in them. But in five, lots of things run towards you at speed and you can't aim and then move the gun. You have to move and then aim the gun. And it just it's so jarring. And when I think in the demo there's the guy with the big hammer or the axe or something. And you just he killed me about 200 times while I was playing the demo because I couldn't get a lock on him quickly enough before he moved out the way again and stove my head in. So, yeah, five for me is like at least six is a competent, you can play it and enjoy it game. It's not a Resident Evil game, but it, it plays okay. But five for me is just, yeah, it's a non-starter. And I wouldn't mind going back and playing five now with fresh eyes and seeing if I could get on with it. But back then, I just it, it was just such a... A jarring move from four, which was amazing to then go to that. Yeah, I think the problem I have, or the two problems I have with Resident Evil 5, are that it starts exactly the same as Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Except for you've gone from Spain to Africa. So it starts in the middle of a dirty village. You, you're walking around with your support character and you get into the center of the village and it's full of psychos with hatchets and axes and stuff like that, and then a bloke with a chainsaw and a bloke with a massive hammer come through. And it's like, oh, right, so we're just repeating Resident Evil 4 beat for beat because it worked so well for them, so why do we need to change the formula? And then there's a point about halfway through the game where you're, you move from, like, favelas and, like, rather urbanized areas of South Africa to a series of mud huts with a lot of they are black Africans throwing spears at you and it's just like oh Capcom come on you are better than this you don't need no no that we're skirting finally on the edge of racism anyway in the fact that you we're a bulk some burly white dude that's being allowed to shoot foreigners basically so we're tiptoeing on the edge of racism there but now we're going with like really massively stereotypically racist uh, depictions of black people brilliant great what could possibly go wrong with this see i never got that far so i know they caught a lot of flack for it being deemed as racist and it, it it just sounded like a bad idea like yeah. from the word go like obviously that wasn't their intention but people are always going to interpret it as their intention to some degree and it it just wasn't a good idea paired with the fact that it wasn't a very good game no and it just yeah it, i i try and ignore five as much as i can for for all those reasons and more i just i can't get into it all but We'll we'll definitely do an episode discussing the finer points of the Resident Evil series and its return to form in seven and eight and and all that lovely stuff that comes with zombie games in the Resident Evil series. Dead Island, there's another one that was off the back of Resident Evil a lot of years later, but you you don't have Resident Evil, I don't think you have Dead Island either. So there's there's probably loads more that we we can't even think of, but we'll we'll do a bit of research if we do do a special episode. So, I think we're at that point now where we want to start rating them, because I said last week we were going to shorten these episodes down, and we failed 
already. I mean, it's not going to go as long as last week's, but it's still up there. So let's go with ratings. So we will rate one and one remake together because it just makes sense to do that. Yeah. Let me bring the list up. I haven't actually updated it for a while. I need to pull my finger out and do that, but I can vaguely remember what we've given everything else. I think we are genuinely getting to a point now in the list where it is challenging to decide what we do with the gradings for games. Yeah. Because when we first started, it was like, oh yeah, not so keen on this one, Uh, not very influential, bang it down at the bottom end. And now we're into sort of the area of the games are good because we've and we've got a lot of sort of affection and affinity for them because they were formed part of our childhood. But I don't think a lot of them have stuck with us. There are a few that stand no. out as, oh, God, yeah, this this game all the way through, I can recite it beat for beat. Or, oh, do you remember this bit? Whereas a lot of them now are sort of very grey in terms of, yes, I remember playing them. Yes, I remember enjoying playing them at the time. But I wouldn't say that they were my one of my favourite games of all time. So no, we see, just end up with this mishmash in the middle of just everything. I think the issue for me now is that I'm looking at the list and I'm going, well, I think this game is better than that one, but it's not as good as that one. But then there's not a lot of wiggle room between those two games that I'm looking at. Um, and that's where it's getting more challenging for me, which is why I think we've moved a couple in recent weeks, like moving Quake, um, because on reflection, it we'd probably gone in a bit high. Uh, so this, this, for me, Resident Evil 1 and Remake, looking at the games that we've already got in positions 8 and 9, we've got Bioshock in 8 and Doom 1, 2 and 9. I enjoyed Resident Evil 1 more than Doom 1 and 2. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah. And I would say that it's on a par with Bioshock. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it more, but I wouldn't say I enjoyed it less. So I'm wondering if we stick Resident Evil and Remake in at 78, uh, 79 alongside Bioshock. Is there a call for potentially... Because we do kind of want them to all be distinct scores, mm. really. Is there a call for either moving Bioshock and the games above it that are in like a cluster up a point, or the ones below it, down? Uh, So the options would be then, and I think we might have put something in and around there last week, and I've not added it. We could move Doom down to 77 and put it in at 78, or we could move Sonic up to 81 and Halo up to 82 and put it in at an 80 above Bioshock, or move Bioshock up to 80 and put it in below it. I'd say that there was a call for moving them up, leave Bioshock yeah. where it is, because I think I got more of a... I had more time to play Resident Evil. I didn't have as much time to invest, because I was working at the time, or I was in uni, so I invested yeah. more time in Resident Evil, whereas I think Bioshock could probably take a shunt back one, potentially. So if we go 80... Yeah, go 80 for for Resident Evil, and we'll move Sonic 2 up to 81 and Halo up to 82. Fair. Because then there's there's still a big gap above those. So I'll make a note of that. And then Resident Evil 2. Now, this is going to be tricky because it's one of my favourite games, but I don't know if I'd rate it higher than 4 because where, where 4 came out and how good 4 was meant that I played it a lot more, even though I played 2 a hell of a lot. 
I probably got more out of four. Yeah, um, I would say four was more influential and had more of an impact at the time because two basically did what one did, but better. Yeah, it was a landmark say, a, a entry in the series, but it didn't really do much extra aside from the no. scenarios, the way they structured the story. But that isn't the game. That's how no. they decided to structure the plot. And I think Resident Evil 4, because of the dip it took after 3, because you got stuff like Code Veronica, Dead Aim, Survivor, stuff like that. And it was just, it was on a downward spiral, Resident Evil as a series at that point. And Capcom just sort of kicked the door open, all guns blazing and went, hey, you want the Resident Evil series back, do you? There you go. And just sort of threw it at us and went, enjoy and we all just sort of went, Jesus Christ, well, thank you for that, Capcom. Um, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I wouldn't consider it better than Resident Evil 4. All right, let's stick in at 87 then, which is one below. I think that's probably fair because it is, like I say, I'd, I'd put it up there. If if there was nothing else in the list influencing it, I'd have probably gone higher. But where we've put other stuff, I think it's fair that it goes in sort of as high as we can, for my yeah. opinion anyway. I don't know about you. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and I'm conscious that there are other things on the list that I know sit among my favourite games of all time Yeah, that are going to outrank it quite easily. And I don't want to push it to that top end of the list to have to, in a couple of episodes, try and go, actually, do you know what? It probably needs to go a bit lower than that. There are going to be times where we're going to have to shifty the rest of the list round um, a yeah. little bit just to compensate where... It is be- something is better than something that's already occupying that slot, or it maybe is on a par with something else, but we prefer it, or it's not as good as, so we may end up shifting it for that way, but I'd rather not yeah, set no, the stall out too early. <laughs> I think that's that's fair, and, and it is a our list is a, in inverted commas, working document, so if we want to move stuff around, I mean, it's an incentive for people to listen to all the episodes, because... You might have thought we'd given Quake a nice high score, but when you look at the list, it's not where you thought it was going to be, and you need to find out why. You have to listen to a couple of other ones. So, yeah, I think that's a fair thing to do. So we got 87 for Resident Evil 2 and 80 for Resident Evil 1, which, I mean, both really respectable scores for two really good games. And I'd happily go and play them. Yeah, yeah, it's that is the, a good point. Like, despite the graphics in them, and despite the tank controls not being much fun in the first one, I could still, and I have, in the last couple of weeks, gone back and played them both, just to get a feel for them again. And and it, part of it's probably that nostalgia factor. If you came brand new to it and played it, you might not get as much out of it. But I definitely have still enjoyed playing them. And I could, if we were to arrange a games night, and you said, "Oh, let's play Resident Evil Two, start to finish," I'd have no problem with that whatsoever. Whereas if you said, "Let's have a game night and let's play Tetris all night." Uh, I don't think I'd, I'd be washing my hair or something that night. <laughs> my non-existent hair. <laughs> <sighs> but that, yeah, that covers Resident Evil off for for the list. So you won't be hearing us talking about that on the main show anymore. But I'm sure we will be doing. Well, you might do because we tend to talk about stuff we're not meant to be talking about in every episode. So we, it might crop up again, especially when we look at Silent Hill and and games like that. Yeah. But in terms of actual full-blown episodes, there that's your, that's your fill for Resident Evil. So it just remains for me to thank our Patreons. 
and give you a little nudge in the direction of patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers if you'd like to subscribe. So we've got our special person from the Couple of Coins tier this week is Lee. Our bucket kickers are the Sweaty Llama and, let me just look at Eddie's face, Dino Dini. Yeah, it still gets a laugh. And we've got a new patron uh, this week. So big welcome and thanks to Atropos77, who's joined us in our Avatarnish tier. So he will be getting his very own Bucketless Gamers avatar in the near future. I do know Atropos. And people have often said that we could pass as brothers. So I don't think Paul's going to have to work too hard on doing his avatar, if I'm honest. I think he might <laughs> just be able to take mine and take the cap off it. But that'll be getting done at some point. And I'm I'm sure he will let us share that on the Facebook page once it's done as well. So watch out for that if you're curious what you could get if you subscribe to the Avatarnish tier or above, as well as all the bonus content. So there is a new bonus episode that is completely Patreon-exclusive at the minute, uh, where we discuss the Wii, the Wii U, and the Switch, and how well they all did, or not, as the case was, uh, which is a, a, a fun episode. I mean, I'm going to say that again. We've recorded it. We're going to say it's good, because <laughs> we want your money. But no, it is genuinely quite a fun listen. And if you if you had any of those consoles, um, you probably relate to quite a lot of the stuff we've said about them. So yeah, go over and donate anything above the bucket kickers and above tier, and you'll get that episode now. Or hang around and wait probably about another month until I get a free moment in my calendar to edit it, and we'll stick it out on uh, on Spotify and all the other podcasty places that you can listen. So unless you've got any other business. No, no, I was just going to say, does that mean we get to eat this week? Well, we've we've, we've nearly got enough to cover the hosting for a month, so I'm taking that as a, I'm taking that as a positive, and yeah, it is, it is massively appreciated, because it means we can do this without sort of having to sacrifice Pokemon cards and, and that kind of thing, which we, we're spending far too much money on at the minute. So yeah, it's really pretty. You're you're fueling our hobby by uh, well, two hobbies. You're fueling our podcast hobby by paying for it, and you're fueling our Pokemon hobby by letting us spend our own money on those instead of paying for this. So doubly appreciated on that front. Uh, next next episode. Is there anything in particular you want to look at? I mean, we've got plenty of Zelda games left to go through. We've got. A load of arcade ones, which I don't think we'll be able to touch until we actually go and get some hands-on experience. There's always Shenmue! Ha <laughs> He's done it again. He's done it again, look. <laughs> I mean, I've been leaning towards Monkey Island for a while now. Okay, can do Monkey Island. So we could look at the two Monkey Island games and then I think we'll be able to get a full episode out of them. But if not, we'll we'll put something in as backup to make it a three-game episode just in case. But, yeah, you heard it here first. Next week, Monkey Island 1 and 2, I think it is, that are in the list. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. If, you, if you're if you a fan of point-and-click adventures, next week's going to be for you. And if not, I'm sure we'll talk about a dozen other games throughout <laughs> the course of the hour anyway. So <laughs> tune in for that one. But until then, I will say that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.